Welcome to Bite the Orange. Through our conversations, we create a roadmap for the future of health with the most impactful leaders in the space. This is your host, Dr. Manny Fumble. Let's make the future of healthcare a reality together. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you and welcome to another episode of Bite the Orange. And today we have a very special friend and a very special guest that probably needs no introduction. And she's an expert in, in something very interesting that we'll talk about today. And that's the microbiome and the work that she's doing at Biosia, a company that comes out of my alma mater, Cornell. So I have to mention that because she's a Columbia uh, alumni, but I'm glad we could uh, provide her some employment. So that's a good thing. And I thank you for sharing your Columbia knowledge with us. So today I'm having a very special guest, like I mentioned before, Dr. Dorothea Nagi Sakal. I think I said I pronounced, I pronounced that correctly. Is that correct, Dora? Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much, Emmanuel, to having me here. I'm I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. It's an honor. It's an honor to have you on the show. I've had several conversations with you about what you're working on, and I think it would be great to share that knowledge with the audience today. Um, I think it's something very special that you're working on, something very transformative. And not only is the concept of the microbiome important, but also the AI that you bring in powered by genomics is also solid. So tell us about yourself to begin with. Who are you? Yes, I am the chief medical officer at Biosha and also a research assistant professor at SUNY Dunstead. But overall, I am a female clinical scientist, a translational scientist, and my goal is to bring novel technologies to the bedside. So I have an MD and PhD and decided to bring these innovative technologies to help the patients, have the bridge to translate to physicians and provide all the data that's needed to, to help. And I'm specifically focusing on infectious disease diagnostics. I started as a pediatrician, but very early on, I was introduced to the sequencing technology. This is a technology that can actually identify the genomic information of different pathogens, bacteria, viruses. And we were able to see the microbiome and, and understand these pathogens. And that brought me to the bedside uh, to use these technologies and bring this to infectious disease diagnostics to improve the regular gold standards uh, that's right now available. Thank you for that. And great background, of course. And I think from a general perspective, if I'm a listener and I have no idea whatsoever what you're talking about, and I say, let's start off on a basic element of what is the microbiome and why is it important? Yes. So the microbiome is like trillions of bacteria that are living in our body. We have like around two kilograms of microbes in our gut, and we call them the second brain because besides they help us like in digestions uh, and they have different helping function to the human body, they release metabolites and they can affect uh, different functions. Uh, for example, one of the most exciting studies that I have been working on at Columbia University was to explore the gut-brain axis, how these microbes can affect brain function, uh, fatigue, depression, for example. But these microbes can help to train the immune system. So they have several functions that help us. The problem is that life is not always perfect. So we have sometimes disruption of these microbes that could be anything external, for example, an antibiotic course uh, or different diet. And when there is this disruption in the microbiome, it's called dysbiosis, then 
it can relate and link to different disorders uh, or it's consequently with different disorders, the microbiome can change and it has a huge impact on health outcomes as well. So are you saying that the bacteria that we have in our body, because when most people think about bacteria, they think an infection, right? But you are saying that these bacteria in our bodies, especially in our guts, have a second brain and that influences how we actually function. Yes, absolutely. And we have all these bacteria in every body site, uh, in our gut, on our skin, everywhere in our body. And they are actually helping us uh, when they are in a symbiosis with our uh, human health. But that's kind of tricky because if I, if I remember uh, basic biology, uh, microbiology, looking at microbes, the half-life or the lifespan of a microbe is not that long, right? So the idea that a microbe in my body could influence my mood and influence other things in my body, how is that possible? I mean, do they transfer this knowledge to other bacteria down the road? How is that possible? So we live with these microbes and uh, we feed them with our different diets. And um, as soon as there is like some, so these microbes can release different metabolites and can trigger the immune system, can affect gut brain function. So they live with us very healthy. But the problem when there is a disruption and different microbes uh, can overgrow and can cause different symptoms, their metabolites increasing and this dysbiosis happen, there is a disruption in the symbiosis. Um, what's really exciting that we can use these microbes for different diagnostics to predict uh, who is, for example, in higher risk, develop different disorders, or we can use the manipulation of these microbes to affect different health outcomes. So now there is a lot of research uh, going into how we can change the microbiome and can have an impact on how medications uh, affect, for example, patients in cancer chemotherapy and cancer treatments. There are different diseases, and there was a huge milestone last week that the difficile treatment, which is a pathogen infection, the FDA were very favorably provided kind of uh, not authorization, but, but uh, into the way of approval of a drug that can affect the microbiome as a complex bacteria therapy and can, uh, we can start treating soon patients with the manipulation of the microbiome, which is quite exciting for the field. This is uh, quite fascinating information. So if we go back to BioShare, right, the company you work for right now, so what is the key problem that you're trying to solve? Yeah, this technology that was used to discover all these microbes, uh, this can specifically can identify different pathogens. And what we do at BioShare is focusing on precision infectious disease diagnostics, so we use this sequencing technology to match with our database of pathogens and specifically identify the pathogens. But besides telling what kind of species, strain we can find in different human specimens, we can also tell about additional information about these species, such as virulence and resistance. So what we can do in the end, we can provide a clinical report for the physicians that's going to tell them what these specific species can respond to and they can provide the right antibiotics. And this is a huge problem right now that, for example, infectious disease physicians, they treat patients uh, empirically, over 90%. They don't exactly know what causing agent of the infection. They choose 
broad spectrum antibiotics, there is an increase in resistance. And there are some reports that showing that by 2050, and I love to say this number uh, to shock people, but by 2050, they predict that 10 million people going to die from an infection. We don't have a therapeutics. So starting right now, forcing and supporting antimicrobial stewardship by giving physicians the right tool to diagnose these pathogens and tell what these species are resistant um, to and have the physicians at the bedside. It's very critical in the next couple of years. Which is very interesting because, as you, as you mentioned, your, your, your gut and your brain, they talk back and forth to each other, right? And they connect probably through millions of nerve cells. And scientists, and I've read some reports, actually some, some papers, that scientists have linked certain changes in the gut microbiome to stress, depression, anxiety, like you mentioned. And there are some studies that actually show the connection between this and disease like, like dementia, Alzheimer's. And even though it's not certain yet, like I mentioned, one study actually found that people with Alzheimer's have less diverse microbiomes. So does that mean that you need more diversity in your microbiomes or should you have less diversity? What is good? Yeah, it seems like the more diverse the microbiome, the better. So in many chronic disorders, we see that there are like overgrowth of some species. There is a shift in the microbes and there is a decrease in the diversity of the microbes. So and we see that the industry is moving towards using microbiome complex like like bacterial cocktails uh, to improve on the diversity, help healthy humans and also patients uh, to improve on their health outcomes uh, when there is a decrease in the diversity. Which takes us back to the beginning of, of this the microbiome. And I've, something that I read about that I thought was quite interesting, that your microbiome is like a fingerprint, right? Your, your microbiome is unique to you as an individual. And some of it may come from your mother, depending on how you were born. And there's several studies that have shown that maybe babies born to like vaginal delivery, right, have a different makeup of the microbiome as opposed to someone that was born to a C-section, for example, right? And then there's a linkage between people born to C-sections and they're more likely to grow up having allergies to certain things. Is that something that you've read about? Am I correct with what I've yes, read? Yes, absolutely. There are a lot of environmental effects that can affect the infant microbiome based on, for example, as you mentioned, the way of delivery that can robustly change the microbiome. But let me tell you another example. One third of pregnant women receive antibiotic during the last trimester of their pregnancy because of some infections. And that means that that's, that going to disrupt the maternal microbiome that can affect the infant microbiome. And why is it super important? Because the first two years of the development of the microbiome is critical. That's when there is the biggest change uh, in the microbiome developing into the diversity that's going into a healthy adult microbiome. And if there is any disruption, either through the maternal infant transmission or during the first two years of life, when again, uh, infants frequently gets antibiotic, there is a disruption of the microbiome that's actually, again, many of the functionalities that I mentioned, such as uh, the immune system training and other functionalities can affect disease developments later in life. So with that being said, so what is normal, right? And so there, you have many kind of yogurts, like probiotic yogurts. So if you mention microbiome, I think the average person listening 
he's thinking, oh, should I, should I get more probiotics or not get more probiotics? I'm not asking for medical <laughs> decision here or what people should do. But what's the recommendation there? If you take probiotics, for example, does that help with diversity? Yeah, that healthy microbiome is a really good question. My favorite study was the Human Microbiome Project that started in 2009 when I actually went to Texas Children's Hospital and Baylor College of Medicine. And that's how I was involved with uh, this field and the sequencing. And the first study on the human healthy microbiome was 500 medical students from the medical center. And I don't know if you recall how healthy your diet was during medical school, how healthy you felt uh, during medical school, but it's a little bit questionable. So we would rather, I prefer to say the control population's microbiome, but that was like a baseline and we use that baseline uh, in many studies after uh, for comparison. And what's really challenging to study the microbiome because all these environmental effects, such as diet, that's like daily changing, um, can affect the microbiome. And the microbiome can actually respond very quickly within 24 hours. You see some changes, maybe not that robust when you switch to a completely different diet or start a medication, but still there is like a dynamic changes in the microbiome. So it's it's really challenging to, to study and you need to have some very strict questionnaire, for example, to to have your control population ready to collect microbiomes. I mean, clear for what you've said, uh, there, there are tons, this is tons of information, right? Just the, just the number of bacteria that live in the gut or in the skin in general, where you have the microbiome is, is intense. Which brings me to the point of how BioShare uses AI, actually in this particular setting. So tell me about that. So, because you're not just a, a microbiome company discussing this piece of biology, you, you actually have a digital health component to this and that innovative aspect of how you leverage AI. So tell us about that. Please. Yeah, I, I was really excited when I joined BioShare because we, and they saw the vision that we have this ability to build out software tools that can have to translate these giant genomic informations very quickly and can provide a report. And I have been doing that at the university on my own, took one patient sample like for a day to do that. And we wanted to digitalize that, make it super quick and uh, actionable. So we have been building different metagenomic tools to translate these pathogen genomic informations into an actionable clinical report for the physicians. This is cloud-based and super quick. And what's really exciting that right now, all these computational advances actually helped us to bring this metagenomic translation to the bedside and help in infectious disease. So what we focus right now is more on pathogen discovery, pathogen detection, and we work with the regulatory agencies to bring this to the bedside and help support all those gold standard technologies that's right now in the infectious disease that are very, very limited, sometimes very slow, and not giving a definitive diagnosis for the patient. So right now, what was your ideal client? Right? I know you probably early phases of development. Uh, so who's your ideal client right now? And first of all, before that, I, I forgot to mention the actual how you're clear clearance, right, or certification, right, which is a big deal, <laughs> right? And I know something that for me talking to you, something very proud about, and congratulations on that piece of it. Uh, so you can expand more about why the importance of CLEAR, what makes you different on the CLEAR side of it, and also tell me who your ideal target client is right now. 
Yes. So we, we got a New York State CRIA clinical lab approval. And this accreditation is the highest standard in the United States to have a high complexity molecular diagnostic lab. So I'm very proud of uh, the team. It was quite a lot of work. And uh, what we do is trying to bring these assays and software to the approval to use it at the bedside. And what's exciting is that during the pandemic, uh, infectious disease got into the focus, regulatories understanding better how different mutations, for example, in a virus can affect therapeutic response. Uh, They understand sequencing technologies. So uh, leveraging that, and we we have been working with the FDA and we got FDA EUA approval on our COVID software technology. So now translating that to the bacteria and focusing on different specimen types to to approve and get a diagnostic test uh, with that. But it's going to be some long way to make it into full approval. So what has been the biggest challenge so far? I mean, clearly, one, explaining what the microbiome is to people (laughs) is one complicated. Uh, To get in the clear lab, you know, accreditation is another piece of this. But what has been the biggest challenge you've faced so far? Yeah, I I feel like working with the regulatories, uh, it's quite challenging. And I have really good conversations uh, during the pandemic because uh, they put so much effort into support all the diagnostics in the infectious disease space. Uh, So I'm excited to continue and see that effort uh, from them. What's really has been challenging because it's not coming from the physicians. I feel like the physicians are ready to change the gold standard technologies. They are excited about this technology, but they need to see more data on clinical utilization at the bedside. So what we do right now, we are focusing on high risk patient population and specifically oncology patients where having an infection that's uh, very critical. It's actually the second leading cause of uh, death uh, in these patients. Um, So it's very frequent. They can go into sepsis and that can expand or delay their actual chemotherapeutic protocols as well. It's high mortality, and and in the increased cost for the healthcare system. So we focus on conservations right now and building out clinical studies to show the utilization that with our technology, with sequencing at the bedside, how we can improve uh, the diagnostic decision, narrow down the therapeutics and, and help the physicians. And on the global side, we can use this to fight against uh, antimicrobial resistance. So that's again, like, like one of the biggest threats right now we are facing. Which is uh, quite fascinating what you're doing and you're tackling things on multiple fronts. And I'm sure it challenges also focus on what direct, what area to focus on, <laughs> right? But I, I think uh, picking the oncology space and infections and, and the outcomes in that space makes you a perfect candidate for Bite the Orange kind of podcast because what you're doing is groundbreaking uh, and fits perfectly in that category of things. So what does the future of this industry look like for you? What, what, what do you think will happen in the, in the next five years, 10 years that you hope yeah, to happen? I- I really hope one of my dream is to not to have to provide a fax number for the hospitals or the labs. So I really want to see the fax machines removed from the hospitals. I'm very excited about the digitalization of medicine and healthcare. And and with these giant data sets right now, we again, we have these computational advances to to utilize all those data. So 
We actually working with our hospital platform data set uh, where we have these fully de-identified patient data sets. That's very exciting because we can test uh, some of our machine learning and prediction models uh, using that. So what's really exciting to bring these platforms to other companies and support them to test their AI and bring these kind of AI models, prediction for different diseases uh, to the healthcare to help and drive the physicians. And again, it's not removing the physicians from the bedside, but helping them to direct them to make the right decisions um, to help the patients. Thanks a lot. So if anyone listening, if you believe in what uh, Dora is fighting for and what she's working hard for, and you believe that we should have no fax machines or fax numbers in the next 10 years, please <laughs> make sure you buy the orange and hashtag buy the orange and hashtag Biosha. I didn't want to say buy Biosha. That's why I stopped there. Rise of Biosha, hashtag women in science and hashtag smart women. Thank you for joining us today, Dora. It's a great place to run up, run up and I would love to have you get another episode of Buy the Orange. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. It was really fun to talk with you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Bite the Orange. If you want to change healthcare with us, please contact us at info at emmanuelfobu.com or you can visit us at emmanuelfobu.com or bitetheorange.com. If you like this episode and want more information about us, you can also visit us at emmanuelfobu.com. Emmanuel